0: Hi everyone. It's Friday, November 10th, 2023, and you're listening to Radio Free XP. I'm joined by my co-host, Jesse Alford. Hello. And today we're talking to Alex Tran. Hey everyone. So Alex, you know, we were we were chatting on the Pivot Slack and, you know, I'm like, "Hey, you started a new UX design shop and like Come on the show because we want to hear all about it. But as we did share, everyone who comes on the show has got to tell us how they got into this crazy business. So how, how did you start in XP? You know, what, what is that first few weeks like for you?
1: Yeah, thanks uh, both of you for having me on the show. Um, as uh, y'all introduced uh, me, I'm Alex, he and pronouns, uh, was a pivot in uh, the Seattle office for a long time. um, And now have have, after working in startups uh, for a while, uh, now have my own uh, independent practice. And uh, my journey to XP and pairing um, was a little bit similar to others, but also slightly unique. So Rob Me actually uh, was a advocate and funder and partner to Code for America, where I worked um, many, many, many years ago in San Francisco. And um, a lot of, you know, how Pivotal ran teams uh, influenced a lot of how Code for America hired and implemented basically balanced teams. In the city governments that we supported building kind of alpha apps and digital services for governments around the United States. And so, you know, it was a really funny shared DNA thing that happened where, like, sometimes I go over the pivotal SF office and be like, oh, this... Feels a lot like the Code for America office we must have got it from you guys, and then uh, and then sometimes Rob and like other people would come do talks at Code for America or Jen and Tim O'Reilly would come over Jennifer Paulka and Tim O'Reilly would from Code for America would come and do talks at at uh, Pivotal, and so I got a lot of exposure that way. Even though Code for America was a much younger organization than Pivotal, we took a lot of the playbook of how teams were formed. Um, kind of respect for all the different disciplines, product managers, engineers, designers, data scientists in how we set things up. And so that really stuck with me throughout my career being a UX designer, and so You know, fast forward to 2017, um, I ended up moving to Seattle with my partner and I didn't even know that there was a Seattle Pivotal office. I just like knew that Pivotal had a presence many places. And then when Andreas Aiken, my friend, (laughs) now, but a long time ago, just a, a presence and a designer slacks like in the ether posted that there was designer openings in, in the Seattle Pill office. I was like super stoked. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I didn't even know there's a Seattle office. And so I applied and yeah, I had a great uh interview experience. It was the best. It's still to this day, the best facilitated interview experience of my entire life. Shout out to my once manager, Salome Mortizavi. Um and, you know, of course, besides like doing pairing in my interview, doing like design pairing and Doing you know a whole whiteboarding session with a balanced team. I also did uh, play a round of of ping pong and and represented myself fairly well. And that you know kicked off my career at at pivotal. And so, you know, Tony, you asked about those first four weeks. I um, I had a really comfortable onboarding, and I really credit that to being steeped in kind of the Malou or like um, atmosphere um, that like Code for America had inherited from Pivotal. And also like, you know, Eric Reese was a funder, supporter of Code for America at that time, too. So there was just a lot of like, energy and like, support for working in a way where, you know, the entire balance team was involved, like, you know, in an XP fashion. And so yeah, my first four weeks, at the Pibble Seattle office, like just kind of really naturally in, in, from my perspective, connected with, you know, working in pair and pairing stations with engineers, with other designers, with PMs. And I think, uh, yeah, it was just a fantastic experience. And one thing I'll just call it one thing before I, I pause for any of you all's thoughts. I just did a, as, as a contract that I did actually for another X Pivot, I did a UX Foundations training. And one of the things that I emphasized to these kind of uh, new designers was balanced teams. And I actually had an all X Pivot balanced team panel to help them think about this. And some of my slides was literally like, hey, when you think about collaboration, you're collaborating with every one of, of these folks. But also, like, what does pairing or what does collaboration work like design to PM, design to engineer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think a lot of times, and this is, I think, a very crucial missing piece of UX education in the undergrad and grad level, and also in among the other disciplines as well, is that we don't emphasize enough, like, what those situations look like, how to create... um, good kind of foundational interactions between those disciplines, between different like working styles, thinking styles, whatever. And so I see a lot of like, career transitioners and junior designers really struggle with those kind of initial setbacks of almost like the shock of like, oh, I've only collaborated with other designers, you know, coming out of school. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't, ship software like that <laughs>
2: like right that's just...
1: right and so that's just something that like I I think I was I was just really fortunately like in my previous work experience and other things before coming to Pivotal like I just had and also that kind of formative experience at Code for America like I had seen that play out like hundreds and hundreds of times so when I started at Pivotal I was like oh yeah like obviously like I'm gonna hang out with my, you know, engineers as much as they need me to and then go, you know, then solo again, you know? So yeah.
0: Yeah, that that's great. So I would you you said pairing many times. So I'm gonna ask some naive questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Okay. You are a designer. What 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 does pairing look like? Yeah. When you're pair when you're pairing with what does designer pairing look like? oh I love this question.
1: Okay. So Nina Meta a long, long time ago She was a pivot in the SF office. She wrote a great article, I think, about this. Um, And so I definitely recommend people go check out her article. I think it's on Medium somewhere. Um, But for me personally, um, there's a few different modalities of designer to designer pairing. And some of them are very similar to the other disciplines pairing together. But uh, for designer to designer pairing, if that's what you're asking, Tony there's a lot of different roles that people can play off each other, right? So like sometimes in a design-to-design pair, one person will be the diverger and one person will be the converger, right? Which, hey, ooh,
0: sparkly. I'm seeing sparkliness. I don't know when that's happening.
1: Uh, it this... that was
0: worth it for that. That's good. I, d- I had no idea about this designer pairing model. It makes tons of sense. I can't wait to hear more. Yeah,
1: yeah. So in that model, right, like which is kind of echoing or reminiscent of, You know, when you think about like the double diamond of design or whatever, the big framework that, you know, we talk about to people who don't have a design framework that they build off of, um, oftentimes one person is generating, right? They're generating optionality. They're generating roads to go down. And then the converger, right, is helping them talk about constraints, talk about like trade-offs, talk about costs, right? And, you know... When we talk about pairing, you know, separate from design or any other discipline, we talk a lot about like reduced cognitive load, better like thinking, better critical thinking, right? And one of the ways that the uh, converger, diverger kind of two brain split um, helps is that it releases one person to be like just like in it, like going wild with generally because some people are very good at that piece, like, for example, like, I actually had to do in, in UX grad school, I had to do like a personality assessment around this. And I was like, Alex, you are a very strong generator. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. And you know, I don't know how accurate this is. But you know, some people just enjoy that piece of it more. And right. And some people enjoy the more convergent heart more and so sometimes you compare people together and like move really quickly right and get to your best guess, like next step out of the many options that you have right and so in that just like micro interaction you are almost mimicking like a lot of little tiny double diamonds just like in your pairing interaction that's that's like one modality of pairing right for a designer to designer another one is like just very tactical right like i might be in a figma file and someone else may be like my human co-pilot. I feel like in the era of GitHub co-pilot, there's a lot of connotation with the word copilot. But like, you know, with like, if we're getting at the very tactical level, right? We're not like kind of ideating big things on a whiteboard. Like I might be in a Figma file and like, you know, control V, control V, like a few different options. And like someone might be like, what if we bring in this component or like what if we juxtapose these two things so they're actually ideating or like almost like auto filling into my brain things as I am pushing things forward and so like that's like another modality of design pairing for me where it's like I'm pushing the train forward but you're like my awesome like guardian angel fairy whatever and you're like seeing you know bunch of lumber on the train tracks, and you're clearing it for me, you know, like, or you're like, or you're like, wow, Alex, like, I'm going to go find you some coal to make this train go faster. You know, like they're, they're giving me fuel, right? They're fueling me up or vice versa. Right. And so those are some of the things that I think are some mental models I have around design to design pairing, um, that I, that I find really effective.
2: You're listening to Radio Free XP. I'm Jesse and we've got our guest, Alexander Tran.
0: Okay, Alex, you're running through how designers might pair and might work together. I wanna, I'm gonna try to rappel down the rope just a teeny bit more. I would love to hear about when you went from not really pairing, whether it was Code for America or wherever, when you, when you worked solo and then you discovered pairing as a way of working. Can you take us through that part?
1: Yeah. I think I'm a little bit of a weird duck in that, like, I actually always prefer to be in a pairing modality or, like, with people in... Even if it was kind of a lightweight, like, mobbing style, right? Like, for those who don't know what mobbing is, it's, like, it might be, like, just a... Hopefully a gentle free-for-all of this <laughs> problem. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, soloing... Is oftentimes more cognitively difficult for me. And so, like, I think for me, before I was doing a lot of pairing or kind of like high collaboration with people, I think I was always like searching for a way that I would be like collaborating. And that's why like I'm in like 80 Slack channels. And I think I've I've, like started in the pivotal Slack, like a freelance stand-up Slack. I've like always trying to have fast feedback cycles and iterations and things because so I just feel like I think better. And so I think like, you know, my journey kind of pre-pivotal was a lot of like working in an organization, but not always having like a structured pairing setup or like kind of deep soloing and like feeling kind of lonely in that modality. Um, and you know, like I, I don't like being dogmatic about anything. And so, you know, for me, it's not a, it's not like a strict bullion of like must be pairing or all the time, and or not, you know, or it's not. It's more just like I always like to have the option, right, and then be able to like opt out of it if it doesn't work for you know everyone consensually. Um, in the project and so it's kind of like you know organizations where there's a healthy setup for pairing and that we can do it and that it's encouraged and there's psychological safety for everyone to do it um things just move so much more smoothly and like better (laughs) just like and I think for me you know to your question Tony like the remote aspect right like When I was working all the way um, up through 2017, before I joined Pivotal, like mostly, you know, in-person work, right? And then I started working remote um, a lot in a startup before I left San Francisco in 2017 because we had distributed teams in Serbia um, and elsewhere. And so I, I started to build up a muscle of, collaboration in remote not always quite pairing although we eventually did get there and then like you know fast forward to pivotal and then clients who wanted to collaborate remotely even before the pandemic I think like being able to turn on that collaboration easily and with less friction on remote became like a really strong advantage entering into the pandemic because I did a big project for a very large Fortune 100 company. and one of, the, one of the things I was brought on to do was to help my design pair create a good remote design sprint practice. So she was going to enable their Brazil and India teams after, you know, four weeks with me. And she was going to do it and run it and do it for the entire Brazil and India teams. And, mm. she, and she did, and but we practiced pairing in person at her office for the first four weeks and then rolled into remote pairing, me from Seattle, her from the middle of the country um, afterwards. And I think that really set us up for success because we had that human connection and then we were like really ready to go remote wise. Um, I have
2: several questions Please. About this. My first one is maybe the most boring, but when you talk about doing remote pairing as a designer, yeah, what what tools are you using to enable that collaboration? Like what software and what combinations have you tried? Yeah, and what has worked well and what hasn't?
1: Yeah, so I think right outcome wise, you know, and I was just telling this to a designer that I mentored because I am a local mentor here at at a UX school out of Seattle. School of Visual Concepts, shout out, you always want to situate the collaborators against the problem. And what I mean by that is in physical space. And so like in person, actually, it can be harder to do this, but in remote, it can actually be easier. And so like, you know, for the example of the tools, right, like Zoom, if you're sharing a Miro board, if everyone's looking at the Miro board, and that's something that I emphasize in my UX Foundations training is like you are helping pull stakeholders or collaborators as like all on the same team. And when you emphasize that we're a we, it's we against the problem. And so like that the real magic happens when those tools like Miro or like any kind of screen sharing like Zoom helps position that work, that problem, like as something
2: that we're all kind of looking at almost like in physical space across from. When you say it's harder in person, I, I have a, a an idea of what you mean that I want to test my understanding. Yeah, please. You. So, Alright, so you've got yourself a conference room and you're yeah. collaborating with people up against uh-huh. this whiteboard. Uh-huh. I picture success in orienting everyone against the problem as two or three people leaning against the table, facing the whiteboard across the one-step space towards the whiteboard and failure as people sitting around the table, turning their heads to look at the whiteboard. Does that <laughs> Does that comport with what you mean, or, or yeah? Is there, is there oh, I love,
1: I love your, I love the visualization of your example. That's that's super helpful. Yeah, I think it's, I think the anti patterns that I see oftentimes with the facilitation in person that it doesn't have anything to do with like necessarily the skill of the people, but the extra friction that the environment can provide yeah. is that like you want people while you're doing something to feel empowered to be as engaged as possible so to your point about the round table jesse like sometimes the orientation of the table may just make it really hard to see like i have seen so many designer presentations and many others which are also simply not accessible or inclusive right so like when you're in a physical conference room like i always tell my design students i'm like you have to design for the person at the back of the room right like AV UX is one of my biggest pet peeves because and because I have so much appreciation when it works well because there are so many actors right non-human actors right there's like all yeah. the physical devices there's like all the mics there's all the mic coordination like there's all the videos there's all the video syncing and so I have so much appreciation for both the engineering feat that it is and like all the UX work that comes in and so like when i see that happen in person and this is also my gripe with like hybrid work is that you make very unequal players right like you cuz then if you have people on the screen that and there's a mural board on that screen it's also very hard to see who has the baton speaking in the room right and so yeah. it it becomes this thing of you're not all a team against the problem you're a fragmented, uh, like, multi-headed hydra, you know, like, maybe
0: sometimes looking at the problem.
1: So I think your your question about tools is actually not as boring as you purport because it's really about how do the tools support that, like, that dynamic, that, at least in my humble opinion, like, where you support that outcome of everyone feeling as a team against a problem. And I, and I honestly don't think that the tools are all there yet to, to help us. In the current situation,
2: I did hear Miro in in your mm-hmm. list of things that just like natively produces this experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I just note that my experience with it is that often people will set aside or minimize even whatever video call software they're using and not even be looking at each other, just looking at the problem, mm-hmm. and that has some trade offs to it, but. Mm-hmm it, it works. Uh, once the thing that you're working on in Miro becomes the face of the problem, mm-hmm. like, you know, you've gotten somewhere.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I've wanted to pen an article, uh, alpha named the whiteboard wars for a very, very long time, because I just find it fascinating how all the whiteboard, uh, softwares are trying to eat each other. like when mural rebranded, to mural from whatever it was before or mural rebranded from real time board and there's also mural and then like and I'm just like and now Miro is trying to crib and like kind of solve a little bit of what you're saying Jesse right by like having native video inside of Miro so you can have little bubbles of faces kind of like yeah. gather town you know where I don't know if you guys know that like it's almost like an RPG for um, yeah. meetings
2: <laughs> well no this is the thing that I've said for a long time is like oh Microsoft is over here talking a big game about AR, but they have Minecraft. They should be putting blocks in Minecraft that let people join or leave Skype rooms. They have Lesson. all the pieces. Lesson. But they have no imagination. No,
1: no, they don't. no, or the imagination that they have is extremely siloed into little fiefdoms, yeah.
0: You're listening to Radio Free XP and we're talking to Alex Tran.
2: So you have a UX practice that is the nominal reason that you're on here. We make everyone do the pairing journey thing because they're all so good. And we just want this giant library of people's experiences with it. But you have a, you have a particular interest. You have something you want to tell us about. What is it?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Tony and I were talking a lot about um, kind of where UX is now and where UX is going uh, kind of in this current environment. Um, and I think there's a few different layers there that we can interrogate a little bit um, within kind of the history of like how we've worked together and like uh, as ex-pivots and, and in other places, um, you know, just taking it from the top, um, you know, we've been in a very funky place in tech, right? And like uh, UX, along with a lot of other roles, has experienced like a lot of layoffs, a lot of weird things and then i think you know just in my personal perspective i think we're gonna see a lot of great ux practitioners and ux groups and teams with really strong ux practices kind of resurge out of whatever is happening right now in the larger industry but i do think one thing uh that would be really great to double down on just for everyone who works with uh, designers is just understanding the different types of like designers there are and the different uh, ways that a UX practice shows up. So right now I run an independent uh, consultancy, uh, but before I was a principal designer um, and anchored the UX practice at uh, the food waste startup Shelf Engine here in Seattle. Um, and you know what i have to provide day to day inside in-house at a startup is vastly different a lot of times than what i've had to do for each of my clients um i think a lot of times people who are not used to working in an xd fashion not used to working kind of very hand in hand with designers Um, At a company um, or on a consulting engagement, very often the only exposure they've had to working with designers is in a very production design faculty. So someone who has just been brought in, you know, they're not valued for their critical thinking or as a thought partner, they're just like, make this Figma file. No, make make the thing, make it, you know.
2: We're blocked on the design for the login screen. Provide us with the pixels so that we may make the screen.
1: Yes, and yes, and I've had projects like that, and it's just, it is just excruciating because I can see the pain (laughs) echoed inside of my engineer's eyes and my eyes and everyone else's eyes except for whoever
2: uh, called for this system. And so... You're sitting there looking around and seeing everyone suffering and being like, "Why are we doing it this way?" But you can't get into that because that's, yeah, not yeah. what you're doing.
1: Yes, yeah, and so you know, and and it's a lot of times it's a lot of times it's the
2: clients
1: or or people some who are very good-hearted and mean very well, like they just have no other language other than experiencing production level design. And when I say that, I in no way mean to like denigrate, you know, any product designers, UX designers who love like production design work and are very good at it um, and have made a career in
2: it. Um, That's great. Um, yeah. But may I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. When you say production design, yeah, it sounds like you're talking about something that could be in many different relationships, yeah. but it's like, hey, We have we've already decided what to build and we want you to give us a visual blueprint for it, a a wireframe. They probably wouldn't use the term blueprint ever, but like some level and, you know, fidelity might vary. But basically that when you say production, what I'm hearing, I'm disambiguating it because production can mean so many different things. and It's often meant in a very positive sense. But like you're talking about this sort of reduced to like fill a brief. I often think of this as the agency work style. Exactly, exactly. Is, okay, that, that comports exactly, with your...
1: Exactly, The agency model is where it, it kind of has a lot of its roots. But actually, like Airbnb and like Netflix and lots of great, you know, like a lot of places that have, you know, great software internal shops in many regards um, have production designers. But it's, like, within, if you're thinking about, like, healthy teams and, like, set up well, it's within,
2: like, a coordinated system within a whole mature design team, right? Right. Like, they've brought in, they've built an internal agency. Yes. Is what I've seen at a lot of these places.
1: Right, right. (laughs) And, like, if everyone's consensual and everyone's having healthy communication and everyone is, like, supporting each other, that's great. What's not great (laughs) is when, like product owners and, uh, you know, software architects or like people who, who, you know, are buying the services of design only understand design is doing that. And they have not included design in any strategy, any decision making, anything. And they're just like, here's my handkerchief. Now make the pretty happen, you know, and it's like, it's (laughs) fascinating. It's just fascinating, right? It's. Like yeah. my my partner and I are, are rehabbing this 100 year old craftsman house. And he's uh, he's a he's a PM or was for a long time at software and I'm a, a designer um, and we both have like varying levels of construction skills. And it's so funny because we're like, OK, a lot of this project is very waterfall. But at the same time, like there's so many like little micro decisions along the way and things we want to capture, you know somewhat in agile fashion and it's like oh yeah why wouldn't you include more points of view disciplines up front to like figure these things out you know and like uh, and so yeah it's 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 really fascinating so you know i feel like the industry still you know after so many decades still has this mental model that like we we designers are these artifact you know stampers we just cut widgets out of steel and like you know and it's like it's like it's like there is a time and a place for production design within a very mature shop or within very fast agency life there's someone who is is doing this amazing finishing work because they have to because someone has to receive like this very well detailed and this very clean figma file for some reason you know like
2: for some reason and like it's very generous i'm i'm actually gonna say i don't think that this has to happen <laughs> like except except for the fact that the world is the way that it is and things are the way it's not how i want to work that Jesse. Way. it's and i don't i, I just want to say like it's generous and it's nice to people who are doing that type of work and it doesn't devalue their contributions or come with this like oh you're living your whole life wrong Thank thing you. And that's all good. And a lot has been accomplished that way. But I think that a better way has come along. And I think that that better way or some other better way applies to almost every situation. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah. If you're experiencing this and thinking like, oh, maybe I'm in the situation where it's the right thing to do. You know, maybe. No, but I, don't I, believe I that.
1: appreciate it for your. No, <laughs> I appreciate it. For myself personally, I would never work that way. Right. And like I, I refuse. I refuse it. I rebuke it because it doesn't it doesn't work for the way I work, but it also like to me doesn't produce great software on a team like I think for me, I just recognize the reality that that is the mental model. It was given to them historically by certain ways of working and it's stuck. And there's still people who work that kind of way, some of whom do great work which you and I both acknowledge but like absolutely, it's not my preferred way of working and then the fact that it influences how people think like you know writ entirety of like the entire industry it influences how they think of the whole thing And that's why you know I was talking with Tony like what kind of design collaboration what kind of design work to me if people were having good nuanced conversations about this like in a very healthy and fast way, they would thinking they would think about it along a spectrum of maturity. And they would think about it in terms of like both product and brand. And so I was talking with Tony, um, you know, I advise early stage climate tech startups as just like a, a side thing in my practice and, you know, entrepreneurs will come to me and they'll say, Alex, like first design hire, you know, what should I focus on? And I said, What's the leanest brand that you can have? Are you there yet to attract like the customers you need to survive and or to raise your next round? And they said, yes. Right. And they said, <laughs> my brand is not there. And I was like, OK, then if you're if you are providing the service and it's glued to deck tape together, but you will survive another day. But your brand is so crappy that like no one will buy you. And you need to have brand help, right? But if you're saying that your brand is okay because you're in B2B, EV charger charging, you know what I mean? And like no one's gonna gonna give a damn about your brand very much at that level. It has to be enough, right? Lean, lean. Right. Um, right. but you are like, but like the UX, the actual experience of like going through onboarding, using the the service, whatever sucks then you actually really want to lean into a UX generalist at that stage of an early, you know, pre like seed, pre-seed, like early Series A startup in order to really set those good foundations for yourself. And so those are the types of like nuanced conversations that I wish people were having in their hiring, in their setting up their teams and all of that Because then you can set everyone up for success. You can give designers work that they want to do, that they are excited to do. Because a lot of what I mentor my students around is like, you know, when they're looking at jobs and stuff is like, are you a zero to one person? You can be many of these things or you could change in your life. But like right now, are you a zero to one person? Are you someone who likes to architect the change, change it from, you know, the early stage startup stuff to like something that can scale? Or are you someone who likes to like ride, ride it out, you know, more of a maintaining situation, like after, you know, some initial skills, because the type of design work is very different. It's very different at those levels of maturity, right? And then it's also different kind of along another axis, how much product, how much brand. And some designers love doing both. Some designers only like doing product stuff and not brand stuff. You know, and so it's 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 really I think it's really important to have those decisions like among stakeholders and the team, because
2: your your needs change over time. You're listening to Radio Free XP. I'm Jesse Alford, and we're here talking with Alexander Tran. I think also that we are just about out of our time envelope. Where, where can our listeners find you? Oh, man, uh, I don't really use Twitter anymore. I- um, yeah, right. Me neither. It's a problem.
1: Ab- um, uh, yeah, you guys can find me Alexander on Blue Sky. Also, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, those are kind of the places that
2: I that I'm at right now. And uh, if our listeners are on the Pivotal Slack, can they find yeah, you? There? Yeah,
1: yeah. Pivotal folks, so, I'm I'm in the Pivotal Alumni Slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please come find me in the Meet Seattle channel, the Designer channel. Love to hang out.
2: We'll also uh, launder emails to you. If people want to email either yeah. Tony or I and, and pass it on to a guest, we we don't need to be broadcasting everyone's email address if they don't want to No, but you can email me at Jesse at nonlinear.garden. Uh, Tony, what's yours these days?
0: Precept at gmail.com.
2: All right. So if you want to talk with us in about the show or uh, have a, have us pass a note to Alex or anything else, feel free to email either of us at either of those addresses. Alex, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, it went by really fast. Uh, we were having right. We having ran having out fun. of time
2: faster than we <laughs> wanted. Well, the good news is that we can always do more.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, there's there's so much fun topics we can um, dive into more, and I think you know tease some of those. P- people
2: will tell us if they uh, oh, they've got yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what else? What's in the what's the library that you represent? Oh my
1: gosh, the library. (laughs) Let's go. Okay. So uh, you know, we scratch the surface on a bunch of different things. Um one is I think, you know, where's design going? Um after this current era, right? Like a lot of teams are moving out of in-house because in-house teams are being demolished in a lot of places. Um, so what is the future of like consultancies, agencies, single proprietors like myself? Um, what do, in, what kind of uh, helpful maturity will that give or not give to the tech industry? Because um, UX first made some of its biggest splashes in tech by actually being external and being a forcing kind of feedback function on <laughs> some of the right. bad stuff that was that coming is, out of big companies. The
2: adaptive path story. Adaptive so path, on.
1: exactly. That's exactly who I was thinking about, right? And so, like, yeah. all some big, some big hitters came out of there. that now, all have their own small shops, or or are leaders at bigger in-house places. But um, yeah, so I think there's there's like the evolution of of uh, the field, and then there's a lot of evolution around the craft. Like, how will How will we think about good human computer collaboration? Like, you know, I love the centaur mental model or like framework of like AI plus humans equals maybe better (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) You know, like I think that's really worthy of, of talking about. And then something really close to my heart, like, you know, in my undergrad, I studied a lot of environmental science and I have a lot of climate tech startup friends and then i've been getting to know some some funders as well in the climate space and i think there's still very much a dearth of designers in that space so i'm always trying to encourage folks and i always want to talk to folks about that and then also like just general like upskilling up leveling of our education in just climate related things as a whole like obviously the tech industry but also just people in general like I think there's a lot that, like, all of us, you know, if we're just talking about just even ex pivots, like, that we can contribute with the ways that we think and the ways that we work. And it's just going to become more pressing and tangled of a problem set as time progresses. So I like to give people lots of heads up and lots of, like, nudges around. It. I,
2: I tell this is the thing I tell people sometimes, you know how painful it is to be in a group when you've recently been with Pivots and they figured out what to order or where to eat and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And then you go and you're with normal a normal group and they're just in this chasm of hell trying to figure out what to do together. Mm-hmm. They're not better at the other things they're doing in the world. The other coordination and decision and facilitation and aligning, they're not doing better <laughs> At that, either the the meal thing is fully indicative, and we can we have a lot to offer. Tony was saying to me earlier today. I think pivots have been really successfully trained to be to really control their arrogance and keep mm-hmm. that sort of tamped mm-hmm. down. But I think there's some room for self esteem on this. We know a better way, and there are things mm-hmm. that we can contribute mm-hmm. it to. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And I'm sure we'll want to have you back for one or more of those things in the future. Thanks again so much for coming on the show.
1: Awesome. Thanks, you both, for uh, having me.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free XP. If you're interested in helping with graphics, bumper music, or other aspects of production, or if you'd like to be on the show, please contact Jesse Alford or Tony Hansman on the Pivotal Alum Slack. You can also reach us via email at jesse.alford at pm.me or precept at gmail.com, respectively.